How do I say goodbye to what we have? Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. I'm sad. It's so sad. I'm bi- it's bittersweet. It's so hard to say goodbye, goodbye to yesterday. yesterday. So, yeah, we chose gone. We, it's sad. It, well, and, and we have to start having that mindset of we have to trust what Perlin is doing. And, we do. and, and we're going to get deeper into this here in a minute because there's a lot more to talk about than just losing Luis Urias. But we have to trust what they see and what they know. We as fans, and I think I can speak for a lot of us here, except for maybe Padres Farm, um, we <laughs> you know we expected that guy to be our second base. And you know the the storybook is him and Tatis being the that infield for going on 10, 15 years. Well, yeah. They, they, they both go to the Hall of Fame together. They were like, like BFFs coming up. It yeah. was them and Fran Mill yeah. and Franchi. Those guys were all kind of hanging out together, going up through the levels. Yeah, up until Udius and, and, Fran, uh, and uh, Fran Mill. So it's yeah. like, they're, you know, they're breaking up the band, but... So if if what they've said is true that they were trying to work on on swing changes yeah. and he was resistant to things or wasn't picking things up as quickly as they wanted, he changed his own swing and it, it they ne- he never changed back. He wasn't taking the coaching that they were wanting. Yeah, yeah, on one on one side you do say maybe you're not coaching him right or maybe you don't have the right coaches working with him. Right. But then the flip side of it is maybe he isn't conducive to what they want him to do right so you try and then if it doesn't work you have to move on and it's it's unfortunate this, this harkens back and i'm going way off track here who's the left-handed pitcher he came up i called him el nino um this is about 10 15 years he's now a bullpen guy and he's about a thousand years old um de Espanye? no 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 this is like back in 2002 2008 um he was came up super young he was um i believe he was a mexican pitcher um, he was in the Mets bullpen last year. Not Juris Familia. No, he came up at like 20 years old. In oh, Oliver Perez? Oliver Perez. Yeah. Um, had all the talent in the world, but from what you can gather and what you kind of heard from the organization was uncoachable. Yep. And you'd see these flashes of brilliance, and then he would just totally shank. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's not the case with Luis Urias, but it, it's sad. I, I believe that he's going to go on to be a very good player. Yeah. But I, if if what we've heard is true, then it's justifiable for them to move on at this point as much as it hurts. Yeah. And we want him to do well. Like we. Like, oh, I still I, want him I, to I do well. Like, yeah. I really feel like he's a part of the family, or at least a Padres family. And uh, you want to see him do well. I don't want to, you know, I want him to do well except for when he plays against us, which right. is, you know, <laughs> statistically saying. History shows that he'll probably, you know, go four for four with like eight RBIs. Oh, yeah. Just, he's going to destroy us. He'll hit the cycle again. He'll watch. He'll hit a cycle against us. Oh, man. Ugh. So in return, the Padres got Trent Grisham. Trent Grisham. And also they sent Eric Lauer and got back Zach Davies yeah. in the in the trade. Yeah. So it, it, it makes sense. There's a ton of depth at second base yeah. within the Padres organization as well as on the free agent market. There's like a dozen guys out there looking for work yeah. that are former all-star caliber players. Um, so it makes sense that you're dealing from a position of depth. You're getting back a guy that has the potential to get on base a ton, to hit for pretty good average with some developing power potential. He can play center field. He's probably going to wind up in a corner that there's, there was a need with the Padres for a lefty bat in the outfield like that. So it, it makes sense. It does. And it really sets up more trades because you know, 
our already crowded outfield mm-hmm. just got much more crowded. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because I didn't realize who Trent Grisham was. So we were at the Don Wilkie game uh, watching in the press box the playoff game against uh, the Brewers against oh, the that's Nationals. that's right. Yeah. He was the guy who misplayed the Soto, you know, he hit, was, out yeah. in the right field. And uh, I didn't realize that until but, that. But you can't make traded. an evaluation based off one yeah, play. Yeah, of course not. No, He's no, known like, oh, as being a steady defender with some de- enough speed to be able to play center field, yeah. takes good routes, gets a good first step, not a ton of top-end speed. But he's fast enough to yeah. play to at least fill in at center yeah. field. So if he's a timeshare with Margot, maybe that's how it works out. Yeah. But we know they're not done. No. So then they move on and they bring in Jerickson Profar. They trade off Austin Allen, bring in Jerickson Profar, who right as of today, he's our starting second baseman. I don't think he's going to be the starting second baseman when we get to opening day. We'll, moves are yet to come. Exactly. I'm, I'm hoping that he winds up being a utility kind of a thing, but who knows? Twitter Preller's boys, and he's been wanting him for a real he long is. time. And, and he's one of Tingler's guys, too. Yeah. Because Tingler was the field coordinator in 2018 when he had his good year. Right. So I hope there are more moves going on. I don't like the idea of, like, well, if we pair him up with Tingler in, uh, you know, and he's back with uh, Preller, that he's going to all of a sudden be different than what he was. I, I don't see that kind of ever happening. We we do want him to do well, but I just don't I don't buy that subscription. I don't subscribe to that kind of train of thought of like, oh, a coach is going to make a difference after five years in the major leagues. He's going to be a totally different player. Well, there's one thing the coaches need to do, and they, they need to figure out how to fix his throwing. Yeah. That he was a mess yep. last year with yep. the yips. I mean, it yep. was a serious... I, I, I had heard about it, and I wasn't sure. And then I saw an article on The Athletic that somebody pointed out from middle of last year. He really had the yeah. yips where you could see like he was lobbing the ball, trying to throw overhand. If he'd try to whip it sidearm, it was crazy. Well, and if I'm not if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't done much research, he came up a shortstop. Oh yeah, so he's used to throwing the ball across the diamond. Uh huh. And sure, it's easy thing to make. The, you know, people say it's an easy adjustment from from third to short, but not from short to second. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? So I I don't know. The yips are the yips. Yeah, they, to... it ruined Chuck Knobloch's career. Yeah, and Steve Sachs. And Steve Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Bobby Dickerson is supposed to be one of the best infield coaches there is. Uh, I who knows, you right? Know, you know, so you can try to shine, put a shine on it any way you want, but unfortunately, it's it, the. I was looking forward to Austin Allen. I believe yeah. in him. Yeah, but then he's going to an ideal situation where he can, with a twenty-six man roster, now there's room for them to carry somebody who's catcher, first base, DH, whatever. Yeah. Hopefully, they get his bat into play more than the glove, and yeah. you can do that in the AL. Yeah. So it's 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 the the whirlwind is starting with all these trades. There's a lot of early activity. Yeah. Well, it, well, I want to go back to Zach Davies, and he's now the new Twitter king. He is. He is the new Twitter king. Yeah. He showed up, and the first thing he did was like, "Okay, I like dog beaches and burritos and golf. Does anybody have any recommendations?" And there were like 500 responses. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's a good way to set your foot. And I've heard that, that he's a good clubhouse guy, good with the media, good with the fans. And I've heard that Jerickson Profar, a lot of people really liked him within the A's organization. Okay. And the fans really liked him. So okay. there's personality-wise, there's things to like there. And there's a lot. And meshing, some people will poo-poo chemistry. Some people will poo-poo, um, you know, clubhouse guys. No, we saw what Derek Norris and Matt Kemp they can, they can, yes, exactly. I like yeah. chemistry. I like us having a good time. I, you know, with Tatis in you know, this last season, it was a party in the dugout. Um, so I like the continuation of that kind of idea, that kind of cohesion in all the players coming on board. But he, uh, you know, last night he, uh, 
you know, he tweeted, he subtweeted his wife's tweet for the Wisconsin um, shelter. Please, please, uh, you know, give money to this is a good cause. And then Ryan Cohen subtweeted and said, hey, I'll do that if you do this. And that's, uh, you know, give money to his. Oh, the camp that he. Yeah. Yeah. Camp Kasem. Yeah. And uh, he said, we'll get it tomorrow morning. And then I saw that and I was at work and I had some time to kill. I'm like, ah, I'll do it right now. And I, you know, I, I gave to both. That's awesome. You know, and then he's and he, if you looked in there, he put a nice piece of change towards that. So I love that interaction with fans. I, I, I love, I love that players do that. Um, and it's kind of cool to see. It is. Yep. But moving on, one of the bigger things, and everyone knows this, is Francis Cordero was now playing winter ball. Yes. He's starting to get a bat in his hand. And Bill Center tweeted last night. Wait, I thought he was butt hurt. Wait, no, he strained his glute. That's right. He hurt his uh, butt. I, but um, but um, sorry. Psh. But yes, he's back in action, playing in the the Dominican Winter League. Yes, with his boy Ivan Castillo for Escadillo. Um, last night, Bill Center tweeted: Francis Cordero went two for five with two runs scored in his 2019 winter debut with Escondido in the Dominican Republic. Second baseman Escogido. Escogido. Second baseman Ivan Castillo hidden two sixty six was two for four with a stolen base and two runners scored. Uh, Kebs, uh, catcher Kebster Webster. Catcher Webster Rivas, uh, he's hitting 179, went two for three with a double and a run scored. I like seeing Ivan Castillo get up to 266. He's been playing since the beginning of the season and was not doing well. Got up to a real slow start. And I'm like, ah, come on, Ivan. Uh, you know, he's he's a Hartsfield's guy. Oh, yeah. And Austin Hartsfield and, uh, and Amarillo. And, you know, he won the batting title for... In, in the double-A batting title, I believe. So to see him get up to 266 is, is nice. I don't know. For, I mean, nothing for nothing. It's winter, it's winter league scores. It doesn't matter. Just You don't want to see him not hit well. For sure. <laughs> you don't want to see him hit well. So there were a couple other transactions. The Padres designated... Uh, no, they... What was it? With Eva, uh, Pedro, Pedro, Pedro Avila, Avila and, Michael, and Miguel um, Diaz. Michael Diaz. That they... they I want to use the right term, but they essentially released. There we go. They non-tendered them. Thank yeah. you. So they non-tendered them, but then they turned right back around and signed them both to minor league yeah. deals. So they're staying with the organization. They're just off the 40-man roster, yeah. which is fine. I mean, Diaz would come up. He's got electric stuff, but then the command isn't there. Yeah. And there were injury issues. He was kind of back and forth. Um, and then with Avila, he, he Tommy John TJ. surgery. He finally had Tommy John in September after trying to rehab without Tommy John yeah. for a couple months. So he's going to be done for the whole 2020 season. But the guy's talented. He's young. So he'll come back. That start that he had this year, hey, that was out of blue. They're like, oh, yeah, Pedro Avila's going to come up and pitch. We're like, what? Holy cow. Uh-huh. And he nailed it. Oh, yeah. He won that game. And, you know, for, I remember that going like, all right, he's going to be pitching. He's in the rotation. They're like, no. One start. One start. Well, but it, so they were they were essentially working with the six-man rotation. Yeah. Just by by working it around the travel days and those things, and then when there was a stretch of like ten days in a row, they'd bring somebody up. Yeah. So they'd slot them in there because they did the same thing with Cal Quantrill. They brought yeah. him up, had him do a start, send him back down, and that was before he came up and stuck. Uh, so they were trying to use those guys. It's just there was attrition, there was injury, and then they wound up having to like do the bullpen day thing, which sucked. Yeah, the bullpen. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, there's none of that next year. Hopefully there's none of that, but if there is, I mean, our bullpen is looking really sharp. It's shaping it's up shaping that up way. It's shaping up pretty good. Yeah, and Drew Pomeranz makes a big addition to that. Yeah. 
Huh, but we're here to talk about minor league stuff. So we're going to talk about uh, our new guy, Trent Grisham, right here. MLB Pipeline's Mike Rosenbaum. Uh, his Twitter handle is Golden Sombrero. Best Twitter handle ever. Is that, that's a Jerry Coleman term, right? Well, it's just Golden. I, I don't think it's a baseball term. Golden Sombrero is four, yeah, but I want to say strikeouts? it's. I think it's four strikeouts in a game. And okay. I want to. Why would they come up with sombrero? It's it's a hat like a hat trick. Yeah. But sombrero is a Mexican. It's a Spanish Mexican kind of a thing. Yeah. San Diego Padres. I I want to say that Jerry Coleman came up with the term. I what? feel like it's like something that came up like late seventies, early eighties. Now I need to find the. We'll have to look that up. Origin. But he published an article um, counting down the top ten prospects rebounds in two thousand nineteen. And before he even went into the top ten, he started with Trent Grisham. And perhaps no no prospect rebounded more in 2019 than Trent Grisham. Grisham, Milwaukee's first round pick in the 2015 draft, batted 241 with 19 home runs and 1,488 plate appearances across his first four pro seasons before finally putting it together last season. Slashing 300, 407, 603 with 26 dingers, 441 plate appearances. Between double A AA and triple A. He was a monster in the minors. His major league debut followed, and Grissom ultimately produced a 738 OPS with six home runs for the Brewers down the stretch before joining the Padres in a trade the day before Thanksgiving. He took over for Kristen Illich, who hurt himself. Yes. He also, you know, say what you want to say about the Pacific Coast League, but Amarillo, not Amarillo, uh, San Antonio, where, where the Brewers triple A team played, is a is a pitcher's park. So he wasn't playing in a bandbox. So hitting well in San Antonio shows a little gives a little bit credence to the, the turnaround. Yeah, but it's still the it's still the rabbit ball. It is. It is, but an improved contact point fueled Grisham's turnaround as he went from a hitter who let the ball travel too deep into the zone and therefore struggled to turn on the ball to one who consistently achieved an ideal more out of the front point of contact and hit for power from line to line. Using our prospect stats tool, which you guys can't see, uh, we can see that Grisham's battered ball profile markedly better in 2019, specifically after generating either a fly ball or line drive on 46.1% of his balls in play from 2015 to 2018. The 23-year-old FB and LD rate jumped up to 56.5% last season in the upper minors, and then he held steady at 55.9% in his first taste of the big leagues. So that means he's putting the ball in the air more often. Yeah, absolutely. So there were there have been articles about swing changes that he made. Well, specifically grip changes. Yeah. Have you seen that? The funky grip. Well, it's it's basically a golf grip where rather than wrapping his thumbs around the handle, he puts his thumbs in line with the handle of the bat. And it's something that he did through college. And then when the Mariners drafted him, they looked at him and said, let's do something different. Yeah. No, let's go back to a conventional <laughs> grip. And he struggled for years. Yeah. And then it wasn't until the beginning of the season that he switched it back up and started finding success again. Yeah. And I guess there were some other, like they, they you talked about the, the contact point, that he started trying to uh, make contact out in front of the plate a little bit more. Yeah. There's a fantastic video of Tony Gwynn talking about his tee work. And he's moving the tee around the different spots of the of the plate, and then he starts moving it out in front, talking about when the pitch is inside, he wants to get contact way out in front of the plate so he can pull the ball because that's where he needs to be able to get the barrel on it. When it's away, he can let the ball travel deeper on him, and that's what Grisham apparently was trying to do this year was make contact out in front a little bit more. And you, these power hitters and J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner, they all talk about making contact out in front of the plate. Yeah, That's where they can drive the ball. Yeah, that, that video you talk about with Gwyn, 
uh, about 10 years ago, you know, when, when companies started putting out content, um, I found like searching through Cox or one of, one of the, I can't remember the cable provider we had. That whole video comes from San Diego State. He's in San Diego State gear. Yes. Um, it's in this random thing on their like content, baseball content. And when I found it, I'm like, uh, back then I was like, God, he, Quinny looks big. He just, he looks big. Yeah, but he can still do it. But I mean, that's I the like, kids talk about that. Teamwork. He's showing teamwork. He gets mad about, he gets mad at the kids that they're not doing the thing right. Like, here, let me show you. And he'd step in the box right. and just line drive, line drive, <laughs> line drive. Like, it's it's so easy. It comes so naturally to him. So going back to Grisham, I also saw a segment on, on um, MLB Network where they talked about that grip and how it uh, makes him engage his lower half. Oh, and uh, it it was when the, right when he got traded, they talked about the grip and how the funky grip was, and then they uh, and then I think it was um, Harold Reynolds was talking about that he used that and it helps him engage his bottom half. And talking to Rare Opa Drone, you know, using that bottom half, and everyone knows that you engage that, you get the power, and his power surged. That was a, th- a change that they tried to make with Taylor Trammell. Yeah. Was I don't, I don't know the specific mechanic change, but they were trying to get his bottom half more involved. And we'd like to think that that's a part of why he had his little breakout at the end of yeah. the year. Okay, so the golden sombrero. Apparently, the term was coined by Carmelo Martinez in the 1980s. Yeah, San Diego Padre Carmelo Martinez. First appeared in print when Leon Durham was quoted using it in 1984. So I don't know why Carmelo Martinez was one of my favorite Padres players. Yeah. Like one of my early memories of the Padres was Carmelo Martinez. Part Probably part of it was because of the name, because it just made me think of candy. And I was right. a little kid. I like candy. <laughs> So yeah, Carmelo Martinez coined the term. That's that's freaking awesome. Good work. <laughs> that's why you're a stat boy. Hey, you know, clickety clackety on the Google here. <laughs> so so moving on, moving on. Um, on that list was Gabriel Arias, and it says here Padres number fourteen after an underwhelming first full season in Class A Fort Wayne, two forty three hundred two three fifty two and six home runs. Arias moved up to Class A advanced like Elsinore in two thousand nineteen and slashed three hundred two three thirty nine four seventy with seventeen homers in his age nineteen season. Now, while he surely benefited from the Cali League's hitter friendly environments, the teenage shortstop made notable improvements with his approach and quality of contact. Notably, Arias fared better while trailing in the count compared to his previous year, boosting his FB and LD rate in such counts um, in such counts from 2.5 to 17.2%. Overall, Arias' FB plus LD rate and BIP, BIP, climbed from 43% to 49.7%, while his ground ball rate dropped from 537 to 44.4%. It's great to see that those changes Everyone knows the gloves there. Everyone knows the defense. He's a defense first guy. And the bat lagged. He's 19 years old. Well, and they point out, they they say that it's a hitter-friendly environment. The away parks are hitter-friendly environments, yeah. but the Diamond Lake Elsinore is a decidedly pitcher's yeah. park. Yeah. So it's it's not a hitter-friendly environment there. Um, so where is Gabriel Arias from? He's from Venezuela. He's from Venezuela. And today there was a fantastic article on Fangraphs titled What Remains of the Venezuelan Winter League? So for years, it was pretty much on par with the leagues in the Dominican Republic and Panama and Puerto Rico and other countries that wind up coming together for um, the Caribbean series. Okay. Uh, Last year, Venezuela didn't participate 
And this year, Major League Baseball broke off their affiliation with Venezuela because of the uh, the economical, political ties. It's, it's a little bit of a mess down it, there. It's, it's, it's a huge mess. Yeah. I mean, and not just that, but just, I mean, the logistics of getting people in and out of the country yeah. is a huge challenge. Yeah. Uh, players that go down there, they run the risk of, of kidnapping and all this kind of stuff. So as a result, the Winter League has become devastated. So the article starts off by talking about in the glory days when you had players like Luis Aparicio, Rod Carew, Pete Rose, David Concepcion, Raleigh Fingers, Catfish Hunter that would go and play there in the winter. Um, it, it was it was a, a developmental league, but and it was a strong, strong league yeah. on par with the Dominican Winter League today. So um, now the schedule was cut by a third. They start the games earlier at night because it's not safe to be out at night. They're having a hard time drawing fans. Yeah. Um, they, they're reusing baseballs. They have a hard time getting new balls. And so the, you can't flip a ball into the stands anymore. They use the same ball for you know, several, several outs. Um, Interesting. So be, because they've broken off the affiliation with major league baseball, retired baseball players that earn a pension, are no longer eligible to work there because if they go work there, they lose their they pension. Lose, yeah. So guys, the coaches that used to go down there every single year, they're not going down there anymore. Um, so now I'm trying to find the the quote in here. So some players have serious defensive struggles with routine plays, maybe because of physical issues, maybe because they aren't playing their natural position. We see this almost every game. Uh, the managers are handcuffed because of the limited rosters. Furthermore, some managers don't know the league or the players. And since their immediate assistants, bench, bench coaches, have the same handicaps, the teams keep making the same mistakes a lot of times. This means some players who are generally known to be good hitters are sitting on the bench since, simply because the inexperienced manager doesn't know any better. Going to the ballpark is not an option for many people anymore. Public transportation is almost not available, and the few vehicles still working are extremely expensive. The league has tried to help by setting 6 p.m. as the new starting time for weekday games earlier during weekends. The other reason for playing earlier is the rampant insecurity in the streets, which forces people to go home much earlier than they used to. The cost of the tickets is about the cost of a single meal, so many fans cannot even think about going to the stadium because they first have to try to eat. They can't think about buying beverages and food at the stadium, which is as expensive as tickets or even more. The baseballs used in this 2019-20 season come from the remaining stock from last season. Although some people leaked, blah blah blah. The point is that it's the 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 climate in Venezuela is so degraded. Yeah, and the economy is so inflation with and with inflation and the economy and the political unrest. Mm -hmm. You have factions of people. You have robs. You, it's you know it's lawless. It is. It's lawless. It, it is in a way, and it's, it's so I my heart goes out to the players that are from there yeah. that have family from there yeah. that in the past they'd be able to go home and go play yeah. in the off season and spend the time. And now you've got people that, I mean, we were talking to Gabriel Aris's wife. I think I've talked about this before that yeah. she had to claim um, refugee status to be able to come to the United States. And now she can't go home to see her family at all. Uh. And it's, it's heartbreaking that yeah. they have to make those kinds of sacrifices to try to chase a dream. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's move on before. Well, so <laughs> We're going to bring on Emily Walden here in a minute to talk about her 
about the 120 plan. We have, but we're just going to talk to Emily Walden. We have a conversation with her. But first, let me tell you about Dr. Travis Ehlers, certified sports chiropractic physician, 14 years in the business. He specializes in sports injuries and prevention. He works with high school, college, and several local professional athletes, including athletes at the U.S. Olympic Center in Chula Vista and the NFL Colum- on Combine. He'll fix you up. He just had for, um, for Black Friday, he just had huge stellar deal, like six treatments uh, for like 300 bucks. It's a, a huge savings. If you follow him on, on Twitter at Dr. Travis Ehlers or on Instagram at Dr. Travis Ehlers as well, or just DM me for, for, uh, for that information, you can get these deals. You can find them. You give him a call or go to his website. He's right there on Miramar Drive. He's just right down the road from where you guys, where we are right now here at Roy and Angela's. Uh, give him a call at 844-627-4763 or go to drtravisehelers.com. That's D-R-T-R-A-V-I-S-E-H-L-E-R-S.com. And we'll be right back with Emily, Emily Walden. I thought we get to Zivo. We're really excited to be joined uh, right now with Emily Walden from The Athletic Detroit. Emily, how are you? I am so well. Thanks for having me on, guys. In your winter of discontent, in your Detroit winter of discontent. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Story of my life. It's really the story of my life. And the sad thing that we mentioned when we were off the air is that even though it's in the 30s, like you ask anybody from this area what that's like, and they'll go, oh, you know, it could be worse, which is true. It could be in the teens. <laughs> I can't understand that kind of brutal cold. I've I've been to a place that's like that, but I grew up here in San Diego. I can't imagine yeah. Yeah. saying, hey, let's move to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we're going to experience sub-zero temperatures and ice on the ground for months at a time. You know what? We actually have a, a slogan here that we go, you know, it's not as bad as Minnesota. Right. That's kind of our our phrase to live <laughs> Is that by. The state motto. We, so you know, it's it not could Minneapolis. Be worse. So in Minnesota, we could do be they in say, Minnesota right now? Do they say uh, we could be in North Dakota? And then in North Dakota, they too. say we could be in Alberta. Uh, right. <laughs> it's funny because I just watched a, like five hours uh, documentary on the War of eighteen twelve, and like they were all up in that area, and it's just I mean wartime back in the eighteen hundreds and. In that area in the wintertime is just crazy. Yeah, they didn't have portable space heaters. But let's uh, let's lead off with what we saw yesterday. I saw yesterday was uh, Luis Patino posting pictures on Instagram of him. What is the the, the Premios Altos Awards Altios. in Pagoda? I I appreciate your attempt to correctly pronunciate that. Um, that is brand new to me. It's something that just popped up in my my news. And so I reached out to Luis and I said, in more words less, did you win an award? <laughs> so that was kind of our conversation that we had. And he said, he what it's called is quote unquote, best promise, or the best possible future in the game that they play. So for them, it was saying, you know what, you are basically the up and coming superstar for the area which and don't quote me on this send all hate mail over to the guys not to me um it's i believe it's strictly colombian athletes yeah, yeah it looks if like I it's remember colombian athletes. We, i looked it up on google and and found it and it's all athletes a lot of olympic people it's uh, actually rugby the, it's the colombian olympic committee that awards it oh wow i'm, I'm googling this as we speak 
Well, with baseball being an Olympic sport coming up soon, maybe he uh, maybe see some Olympic time. Oh, yeah. Hey, how about that? He very well could. And one of the things I think that I enjoy the most about the international players across minor league baseball and the majors, these guys take so much pride in representing their country, whether it be in the Olympics or whether it be, you know, the World Baseball Classic, any of that stuff. They take such pride in that. And I know Luis absolutely loves Colombia. He loves where he came from. And they all take a lot, a lot of pride in that. So when we were talking before we started speaking with you, um, I read an article on Fangraphs today about the Venezuelan Winter League. And I, I just, I'm really struck by the whole story there, the political climate and the players that come from there and what they have to do to be here and they can't go back and all of this. Um, do you have any experience or any stories with players from Venezuela that have had challenges? You know, not specifically that I can share. I've been told some stuff privately, but really I think the the most striking thing is the fact that there's so much turmoil over there right now. But if you ask the players or if you ask the coaching staff or any, any Venezuelan natives, they still go, that's my home. And they still take pride in that despite the unrest and despite the political tension. They still look at that and say, that's where I'm from. That's where I take pride in being from. But it's heartbreaking for all of them because they're looking at this going, "Is am, am I going to have a home? Is my family going to be okay? I had one coach who told me, he said he's been trying to get his wife and kids out of the country. And he goes, you honestly don't know if they're going to be there at the end of the day. That's how unstable it is right now. Ugh. That is scary. Well, I didn't mean to bring everything down here. We we try to keep things light. Well, well, let's... yeah. Way to kill the moon, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, let's let's well let's move on to a little more. Uh, you know, kind of tougher news with the trade of Luis Urias and Austin Allen, uh, Eric Lauer. I mean, how we're shocked with you that Luis Urias got traded. That really caught me off guard. I know that there was some conversation about the possibility of him getting blocked um, just because of the fact that I think his strength really is second base. And I don't think he had as much of an opportunity to get that type of playing time with the Padres as, as talented as he is. And he's still raw. He still has some issues that he's working through in development wise. But I think the fact that they're trying, they're kind of talking about going, we're going to turn him into a shortstop. And I'm like, Okay, he's not technically a shortstop. I think a lot of people were like, we got a shortstop. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He is a second baseman who is athletic enough to play shortstop. That's really where he's at right now. So, I mean, you've seen guys go to different programs and they get approached with different coaching styles. Maybe it'll be the right fit for him. I Like I said, he's athletic enough to really play wherever. But I think at the end of the day, they just want to see his bat perform. He's got such a good bat so athletic defensively, but they're going to have to really work with him if they want him to stick at shortstop long-term. So you raise a good point that he's he's been a second baseman coming up. And a year ago, we were talking about who's better, Luis Urias or Keston Hura. And now the Brewers have them both. How do they make that work? I think with Keston, the bat is going to win out. I think Keston, Keston has so much more raw power um, that he has access to. He really is. And I've gotten the chance to see him play in person a couple of times. Defensively, I would give the edge to Luis just because I don't think Keston has that same flair 
On the defensive side, I think he's more of an offense first profile. But the fact that he has access to so much power, teams want a guy who's going to hit home runs, and Keston is the guy to do that. You know, Luis can. He's capable of it, but you're not going to see that same degree of home run power from him. So does Keston have the arm to play third base? I see they just uh, they just released um, Travis Shaw, right? Oh, no, and Moustakis just signed with the Reds. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think so. Just And again, this is just my personal opinion. I think if you're going to put Keston in the field, second base makes the most sense just because I don't think his arm is strong enough. And because of that, I still think Keston is going to win out at second, which makes me think they're going to look at Luis and say, he could play here. Let's invest some more development time, you know, some more one-on-one time, try and get him fit for short because they want his bat too. I mean, there's plenty of value in Luis's bat. It's just not as big and flashy as what you'll find with Keston. Well, and they're giving up on Arcia. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, they non-tendered him. And he was a he was a top prospect. He was a guy of the future, and it just the bat the bat didn't play, did it? Yeah, it's you know this this time of year is really so interesting to me because I think you start to see where a team's focus is. I think we saw that in the Rule Five protection um, list. I saw. Um, you know, obviously, Buddy Reed went unprotected. I think he's going to get picked up by somebody. I think he's athletic enough. He's got enough raw power. He's got the ability to, you know, not only entertain the crowd when he's mic'd up. That's a given. Yeah. Um, or, <laughs> or, you know, looking at where do these teams need to fill some gaps? And I think we saw that through who they chose to protect, who they left unprotected. And then obviously with the non-tendering, I think that that gave a lot of a lot of an inside look into the direction specifically that Padres want to go. And it's going to be interesting to see what moves they make to fill some of those gaps moving forward. Uh, there were a lot of guys that were non-tender, a lot of really interesting players that they're looking at escalating arbitration salaries. And it's just, no, we're not going to spend five, six, seven dollars on you. Well, right. And, and I think I saw a tweet from, uh, was it Dave Zembrowski? Go ahead. Well, he, well, he he noticed that all these guys were one one war players. Oh, like Dan Zimborski. Dan Zimborski, thank you. Um, like these guys that they're like on the on the cusp or on the fringe players that they're like they'll find someone that gives them at least two or three war possibility. Mm-hmm. And so those middle of the road players are starting to go away. And I think this year it, it kind of really shows where analytics is going. Where like we don't need you. We'll find someone else to do the job, and and we'll go younger or we'll go older. But we're not going to, you know, these middle of the rows, these these not journeymen, but just under journeymen, maybe the four A players that aren't maybe consistent. Well, they're letting them go, and they'll figure, you know, well, organizations you, will figure it out. And you've got veterans that have been around for a long time that are looking for work. Brian Dozier, guys of that caliber, yeah, Jason Kipnis that are out there looking for work. Really good players. Do you mention the Rule Five draft? And I do. So they're expanding the roster from twenty five to twenty six players, and I wonder if we're going to see more teams. Uh, be willing to take somebody who's on the fringe like a Buddy Reed that maybe you're going to have to just bury him for a couple of months and hope that he can get past the swing and miss and that you can find something there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a time of creativity for a lot of a lot of teams, and I think with the Padres specifically, they are trending in a really good direction. Obviously, you know anybody who follows the organization knows they still have gaps to fill. They still have areas that they need to get stronger in. But when you're in that position, 
I think it really forces you to have to be more strategic and think long term. And the thing with AJ Preller is that I believe he's a big picture guy. And I think that he is more about sort of looking ahead and saying, okay, you know, no disrespect to Buddy Reed, but does he fit into that bigger picture? Or are we going to need to target a different type of profile? So again, Buddy Reed is still as talented and he's still as athletic, but is he the right fit for the direction the Padres are going to go? Or would he be a better fit filling a gap for another team? Well, as a left-handed center fielder, he's just been passed up twice this year via trade by the acquisitions of Taylor Trammell and now Trent Grisham. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with with Taylor, that's another long-term move that the Padres made because I know he had a tough year last year. And I remember when I shared my two cents on Twitter about the acquisition of Trammell, a lot of people said, well, did you see his numbers from this year? You've got to look big picture with these guys, especially with a guy like Taylor. Taylor is extremely athletic, extremely accessible to raw power. He just hasn't tapped into all of that yet. His body is still kind of developing. He's still getting used to, um, you know, learning how to repitching at higher levels and get a better understanding for that. You've got to remember player development is such a huge part of these guys' journeys. They develop differently, both mentally and physically, and you've got to give them time to tap into that. Yeah. Well, we talked to Ro Padrone a couple episodes back and he talked, we asked him those questions, like, what'd you do differently with them? And they changed his hands. He's like, I'm trying to, I try to get him more into, uh, you know, accessing his lower half. So, and he's like, and all those things seem to work. So there is, you know, there's still more development to go, still plenty of time. And, you know, I keep hearing on Twitter, seeing from guys that know that he could get a shot later on this year. Um, if all things kind of like trend his way during the season. Yeah, that's that's really, I think, what you're just going to have to kind of sit back for and wait to see because you you start to see with fan bases, they put these expectations on guys and go, you're this age, you're this level of physical ability. Why aren't you catching up? Man, do better. And the players are sitting there going, do you know how hard this is? <laughs> like, give give me give me a break. Like, that's that's one of the funniest things that I get DMs from players. They'll sort of use me as a sounding board and they'll send me tweets and go, you don't know how bad I want to respond to this right now and right. go, have you ever played baseball? Do you right. understand this game? It's a ruthless, ruthless game. And I remember one major league player said, I don't think people realize how hard it is to A, get to the majors and B, stick there. Yeah. It's it's incredibly challenging. And so that's why I'll generally throw out a tweet. Hey guys, cut them some slack. They're trying, they're working. Just sit back, shut up, let them do their thing. You know, and it's not linear and it's not it's not linear and it takes time to make these adjustments. Like development isn't like a couple of weeks, a month, a half season. It could be seasons. It could be, uh, you know, it could be a longer period of time for these guys to really put it together. Uh, you know, one of the questions we asked Ropa Drone was about Hudson Potts. And he's like the biggest, like we asked him who made the biggest changes, who really stood out this last year. And he's like, at the end of the year, Hudson Potts seemed to get it. Seemed to, because he was so worried about every at bat. And, and making, okay, I didn't get hit that game. You know, I'm going to switch this or I'm going to change this. He's like getting him to see the bigger picture and more the mental approach of the game with him that he was able to just like, all right, 
throw away the bad at bats and then still focus on the positive at bats. Well, and one of the nice things that I get access to with having so much look into the Midwest league every year is you really get to see where these guys are at, at the beginning, you know, some of them bypass short season, some of them bypass rookie league and they're right there. And I, I spoke with Anthony Contreras, the 10 caps manager, um, near the end of the regular season. And we were kind of breaking down, you know, what he enjoyed the most about his role. And he goes, you know, I I'd love to say I got to help these guys start from scratch. I got to help these guys really kind of come into their own. And I think one of the reasons why the Padres are so fortunate to have him is that he doesn't just look at his role as I have to create talented players. He looks to create good men. And I think that that's such an understated portion of an athlete that, yes, their job is to go out and perform on the field and to do well representing their organization. But that also requires off the field behavior. How do you carry yourself in public? How do you treat a woman? How do you treat the fans? How do you treat authority? It's such a multifaceted role that the fact that he has such an equal amount of focus on that aspect as well as the player development, I think that's what made it's made him that successful working with yeah. Fort Wayne. And I think they're very fortunate to have him. Well, absolutely. I love AC. And, you know, it's funny with our coaches in our system where you have, I don't know much about Mike McCoy, but AC, I've been told he's pretty, he's pretty, he's comes from a military family. He's very regimented. Like this is how you get to do it. He talked about creating how to be a professional ball player. Uh, then you have someone in uh, in Wellman, Philip Wellman in Double A, where he's old school. Not gonna lie, not gonna like like a kid can't hit. He ain't gonna hit, you know. And and in Double A, I think you kind of need that. Like you know, the the younger the players in in the lower lower levels need more of that mentor. This is how you do it. This is how you begin to your work ethic as a professional ball player. And once you get to double A, you know, you run into someone like, okay, you're, you're a step away from the big leagues. Um, it's no sugarcoating. You got to get it done. And and I kind of like that about how the Padres have, have done that with um, going to the triple A with, with the triple A coach, Edwin, Edwin Rodriguez. Rodriguez, where he is, if he should be a major league manager and has been a major league manager and that last little fine tuning with, uh, with development and coaching and coaching. <laughs> I just lost my brain there for a second, which isn't that hard. Um, absolutely. With all, you know, the different levels, but let's, let's move on. Um, what do you think about the new uniforms? Did you see the unveiling? Have you seen the uniforms? What do you think? I did. And I honestly, I loved them. I thought that they were really well put together and I enjoyed seeing people's reactions, but I don't know what you guys thought, but I felt like it was the majority seemed like they were in favor of it. Didn't you guys think that that was the case? Oh, I, it's been pretty much unanimous. Yeah. And some people look at it and go, well, I wish they would have done something different with the, with the, the font of the letters or whatever. But overall people are so happy that it's back to Brown. Yeah. And the, the surprising thing to me is that the, the one that people like the best seems to be the one that was almost left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. There's the tan pinstripe that's the alternate road uniform. And when Tatis came walking out in that, I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. And everybody seemed to have that <laughs> same response. But apparently that was, that was they weren't even going to do that. Yeah. And Major League Baseball said, well, no, you need to have a, a light alternate in case the home team decides to wear a dark, solid colored jersey. Yeah. So, well, can I, can I just say though, 
um, to play devil's advocate here, Tatis could come out in a paper bag, oh my God. and and they would they would sell out the next day. <laughs> well, Tatis wore a paper bag, so I want to wear a paper bag. Let's be real. I, I I follow his Instagram. I see the stuff that he wears, and I would look like a fool wearing that stuff. But it looks yeah. so good on him. Yeah, he he is such everything that a kid should not be. He's got great hair. He's got great style. And I'm just like, that's the kid we all wanted to be when we were his age. And none of us came remotely close to that. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. Well, he's got the swagger to go with it, too. He's got the personality, the attitude. He knows. Well, And you know what I like about him is... When you when he talks to the press, when he not only you know the post game interviews, but he was on MLB um, Hot Stove the other morning, and you know they were kind of busting his chops, and he's very 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 sweet, very controlled. He's not like yeah, I'm the best man, I'm this. He's like oh, that's that's kind of cute. You know, he's very yeah, humble. but he can talk some smack. Humble. He can throw it back at him a little bit. He yeah. has fun with it. He's got personality. I just I'm so glad that he's ours. I want to keep him forever. Yes. But I wanted to keep Luis Arias forever, too. So so let's move on to our next topic. So you tweeted out this during Thanksgiving, and your Thanksgiving power rankings have a lot of work to do. Um, you have here, the top five is one, mashed potatoes and gravy, which I agree with. I'm a mashed potatoes and gravy guy. Okay. Um, it depends on how much gravy to mashed potato ratio. Um and then you have do, do you like it chunky or does it have to be perfectly smooth? It's perfectly smooth. I like a little bit of chunk in there. Eh. Uh, the pumpkin pie at number two, and then turkey at three, and green bean casserole that you had, you know, so famously uh, made for your uh, family's Thanksgiving, and then stuffing is number five. Uh, no scalloped potatoes. No, no cranberry sauce. No ham. Can Can I just say this? And and I'm going to do my best to have. The Fernando Tatis Jr. composure throughout this conversation, and I will be composed and diplomatic. My question I'm going to turn the tables. My question is when did this hatred of Turkey begin? Because I have seen on social media such a loathing of Turkey, and not that I'm a Turkey purist, but I think that people have been so scarred by poorly prepared Thanksgiving meals that they're starting to have a skewed perspective of what it's, it's like the tigers. Let's talk about the tigers for a second. The tigers farm system is like a poorly prepared Turkey. And so the fans are looking at this going, is this really what Turkey is? If this is Turkey, I don't want turkey anymore unless I can get some of that good dark meat that's always got the good flavor and everything. But it's it's not it doesn't do it justice because a well-prepared turkey, shout out to my mom, well-prepared turkey is a beautiful thing, but I am very pro ham. I will say that too. Well, Donovan, I have to put you on the spot here because I see something on your list. Celery with cheese whiz and peanut butter. Yeah, ambrosia. I'm from East County. I have never is... heard of this celery with cheese whiz and peanut butter. Emily? Did 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 your mother not hug you enough as a child? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um I, I was raised by my dad, but I'm from East County. So East County is very um we, we grew up very poor. Um so cheese whiz and celery or even peanut butter and celery was a you know East County uh 
Well, I had peanut butter. And I was going to say white trash, but you know, East County tradition. I, I had the little celery sticks with the peanut butter in my in my lunch when I go to school. But the, what was that, my, my this, lazy this, aunt made those? This wasn't something that you serve for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Not for Thanksgiving. For snacks, all yes, about yes. that. All about that. That's great. But for Thanksgiving, it's it's a bit much. And I will say this in regards to stuffing. I have fallen victim to poorly prepared stuffing. Oh, I've had good stuffing and I've had bad stuffing. My sister makes good stuffing. I've had bad stuffing though. And I haven't had stuffing that really grabs me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a top three prospect right there. Yeah. And people disagree, <laughs> but we all we all have different interpretations. So, so it's I'm, it really comes down to that. I'm a stuffing guy. You can't just take the stovetop stuff out of the box and make it and throw it out on the plate and expect that to fly. And yeah, you soak it in gravy. It's fine. But if you add, so my wife has a recipe where she adds some sausage and some other stuff. I've had it with uh, the cranberries, like some dried cranberries and a oh. little chopped up apple. You, you have to add something to it. It can't yeah. just be bread with the generic seasoning. Right. Stovetop stuffing. Can't do it. Can't do it. You've got <laughs> you've to make it. Like you said, you have to put your own spin on things. And I think with, even with mashed potatoes and gravy, you can still put your own spin on mashed potatoes. And I think that is, that's a staple mashed potatoes yeah. and gravy yeah. is a staple. And I think everybody can agree on that. Yeah. For sure. I agree with the Turkey. I, I don't understand the hate. I think it's a new thing that is catching on. Um, I know some people have ham as an alternate. I think of ham. I associate ham with Christmas. So if you want to have Same. It so Same. that it's if, okay, you don't want Turkey. You can have ham. I love the dark meat. So that's the great thing for me. Everybody wants the white meat. That's cool. Yeah. Save the dark meat for me, and I'm good. But you can keep the <laughs> celery with cheese whiz and peanut butter. That's that's, it that's was a all gar- you know, It's not a garnish. It's a, you know, it's an appetizer. It's what we had as a kid. Ambrosia. Come on. What's it, what? We I, grew up very poor. So in my I'm home, familiar so. with the '80s, like like that yacht was, rock band. But I wh- no. remind me, what's ambrosia? Ambrosia is basically a cut up fruit with whipped cream. Oh, okay. And okay. grapes. And that it's was good. Yeah, with a little bit of toast. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's good. I toasted don't associate coconut. that with Thanksgiving at all. Yeah. Well, East County, baby. All right. East County in the house. Steven Strasburg in the house. Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg in the house. So let's move on to some really business kind of stuff. Um, you are writing for the first time for Baseball America's Prospect Handbook. Tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. Can I just tell you that... <laughs> When I first started this whole crazy thing that I started five years ago, never in a million years did I think that would become an opportunity. And when J.J. Cooper approached me about it, I wanted to go, are you sure? Did you call the wrong person? Right. (laughs) But it has just been an absolute dream. That entire staff, um, Ben Badler, Matt Eddy, J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer, all of them have just been so incredibly supportive and have stood behind my work and they're helping me kind of just grow in more understanding of how the industry works and helping me become even sharper on my evaluation skills and what to look for. And it's just been so humbling to be able to be a part of that because it's obviously something I've dreamt of doing. And now to be able to have this opportunity, it's, it's a dream come true. Like I'm so thankful for it. So we've we've praised you and the work that you've done to 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 break some ice as a, a writer covering prospects and what you do. Yeah. I saw a thing in, recently. Apparently, there is a scout school 
for women that they're have you seen that yeah i want to say if i remember correctly i think this was the first year that this specific program ran yes and i was so so bummed because i was in arizona but i wasn't able to attend the actual school i found out about it a bit late and because of that i already had kind of my schedule set and so i wasn't able to attend it but i heard really really great things i know multiple girls who were able to go You know, they just raved about it because for them, it's another opportunity to learn. And I think that that just shows how valuable these events are to be able to give them that opportunity. So you've established yourself as a writer and you're, you know, we obviously appreciate what you do. Do you have any interest in departing from the world of writing and going into evaluation? You know, I'm definitely open to it. Um, People have asked me, you know, long term what I would like to do. And I've always said If I'm in a position where I'm helping to influence the industry for the better and to try and open more thought processes and open more possibilities and open more opportunities for these types of things to become available, specifically to women, I consider that, you know, a job well done. That's something I want to be a part of. I want to be able to contribute what my strengths are. And obviously, I've moved more into evaluation over the last few years I like presenting players to the readers. So whether that be from a personal angle with a feature piece or with an evaluation profile explaining what their strengths are and then also the areas that they need to grow in, it helps the fans become better educated and they know what to expect. They know what to look for when they hear, you know, about this kid named Luis Patino. Who is he? What is what are his specialties? Where does he come from? And I think that's what's pulled me in so much on the Padre side is because there's so many interesting stories to tell with such a young pipeline and so many young guys who are coming up and sort of learning who they are. And I get to be a part of that by telling their stories as they do that. So who, so did you write about the Detroit Tiger prospects for, for baseball America? Yeah. So currently I do, I do a little bit of both. Um, They've been bringing me on to do some various, projects um like with the prospect handbook i'm not actually doing the tigers for that unfortunately um just because of my commitments to the athletic didn't allow that opportunity to split my time with that organization but they allowed me another organization which you guys will have to buy the book to find out which one that is and it uh it's allowed me a chance to really sort of stretch myself and you know stretch my my question asking ability and and doing more of that deep research to get to know these guys, because I don't want to just assume and just throw material out there. I want it to be well-processed, educational, basically what I've been working so hard to do over these last few years. And I want that to carry over in the other work I do. Um, But with the Tigers, I do um, just like little reports here and there on the, the organization. So that's been really nice to be able to do that and still do some national stuff as well. Uh, that's fantastic. So have you been publishing um, articles through Baseball uh, Baseball America? Yeah. So um, lately I've been doing a Tigers feature once a month. Um, and if you go over and you can actually search my name. So if you search Emily Walden and then usually comma Baseball America, it pulls up all of the little features I've written um, for them. And most recently I did a piece on Daz Cameron, um, who is a AAA outfielder for the Tigers and had an absolute struggle of a year in 2019 probably Uh, one of his toughest years he's had 
And that kid is so resilient and he's so focused and he's, I mean, he's already like, I'm, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. My focus is on 2020 and he has big shoes to fill. He's one of the top positional prospects in the whole organization. And he knows that he comes from, you know, a major league father in his background. And so he understands that process of how complicated it is. And so we had a chance to sit down and talk about, you know, what he's looking ahead to and getting added to the 40 men roster obviously was a huge honor for him too. Yeah. We're, I'm a big Daz Cameron fan, you know, doing this podcast and just kind of covering the minor leagues uh, and also him being, you know, Mike Cameron's son, you want to see these young kids come up. You want to see them do well, um, but that kind of, well, bring- and he's tight with buddy Reed, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Oh no, that was Tori Kelly's kid. Tori. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm mistaken there. Tori Hunter's kid, you Tory, mean? Tori Hunter. Th- yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, if we're gonna talk about Tori Kelly, I'm all about Tori Kelly. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if that's a real person. I think <laughs> I just made somebody up. <laughs> is there a Tori Kelly? Or are you just gonna make it? So, there is. There is a Tori Kelly. Oh. She's a singer. Oh. Oh. Okay. What? Do you have a scouting report for Tori Kelly? Yeah. Can we get a song? <laughs> she has literally. The most amazing hair and teeth I've ever seen. And she has a beautiful voice. She's just like a stunner. So she's she's really, really pretty. I like her a lot. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I will have to look her up and figure. Yeah. She's right there. So what? actually what I had on my mind, I, read, I saw a tweet the other day. And so you have done an amazing job of opening people's eyes to the struggle of the minor league player um, and the pay discrepancy. Uh, the, the article that you published in The Athletic, oh, I, what was that, a year and a half ago? Yeah, I right before say. spring training came out. Yeah. It was, it was actually, they released it the day that I left for spring training. And it was on my birthday. And I was like, oh, dear God, this could be wonderful or absolutely awful. I had no idea what the reaction was going to be. And when that article released, I was floored by how many people came forward. I had coaches, players, scouts, family members, all of these people were approaching me at spring training. And I was like, okay, maybe they're not going to kill me. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. So have you gotten any um, any negative vibes from anybody like on the ownership side or anything like that? Nothing. Honestly, nothing that's been brought to my attention. Um, I think it's just more the, you know, the peanut gallery fan base right. who constantly has the, the classic, if you don't like the pay, get another job, that kind of a line. And it's it's something uh. that it's just... It's a it's a fallback for people who wish they were in that position and be able to, you know, to be a professional athlete. But, you know, you really don't understand the struggle of it until you're in it and how much you've invested your life to reach this goal. And because of that, it makes it a lot trickier to just go, eh, it's not really my thing. I'm going to find something else. It's no, this is my life. This is literally all I've committed to. And I want to see if I can see it through. Okay, so what brought this up with me the other day? I saw Ty Kelly tweeted something out so ty kelly was kind of a fringe major league player he bounced up and down with the mets a little bit um he never really stuck and so he's a retired ball player now he tweeted out waited till monday to pay my rent in hopes the apartment complex was running a cyber monday special and now i need a job not seeing any specials on those either and some clown says you could always be a low-level minor league baseball player that's a job 
So I responded to him. I said, you need to do some research on minor league pay. Yeah. I'll give you a head start. And I linked your article. And then this clown says, I wish I could afford a subscription to The Athletic, which is a stupid that This is one of the most valuable subscriptions that I have. Yeah. So my reply to him was, if you have a part-time minimum wage job, you probably make more in a year than most minor leaguers do. It's criminal. It is. It, it really is. It's it's tough to to get people to sort of understand the reason why we're speaking out about it. And it's it's not to say, oh, these poor boys. It's they're human beings. They're employees. They are working. They're doing a job. And their bosses, at whatever level those bosses are, need to recognize that and reward them with a livable wage. And at the end of the day, I've always told people, it doesn't matter the fact that they are playing a game. They are professionals at what they do, and they should be recognized as such. It's really not that crazy of a request. Well, and and so that brings us to the MLB's 120 plan. They want to pay them more money, but they also want to pay less of them more money. (laughs) You know, and it is a brutal, I mean, you know, I just reading the the JJ Cooper article and everything that's come out after that, the, the tone from both Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball is just round, round. It's very vitriol. It's very, it's very polarizing. Um, and this plan, if, if it goes through, which, you know, we'll see how that goes, will just restructure Minor League Baseball. And I think it can do a lot of damage to Major League Baseball. So what do you think about the 120 plan? Oh, where do I start on that? And we, can go, um. we can go a while into this. So, so there's, I mean, this is a big, big thing to unpack. It, it really is. And I, I think I stick to what I've said for a very long time, that there is access to money to be able to give players a livable wage. They don't have to make major league money. And if you ask a minor league player, they will agree. They'll say, I'm not asking for major league money. I'm asking to be able to live. It's plain and simple. They should be able to pay their bills. They should be able to not have to worry about, am I going to have food this week? Am I going to have gas in my car? You know, it's it, it's simple little things that I struggle to understand why the ownership group is pushing back on this so hard. Because if you are in that position and you want to be developing your farm system into healthy developing players who are going to contribute long-term, don't you want those players to be able to look at you as the ownership group and say, you know what, you guys have my back. And so I'm going to give you everything I have. And I think that's what it's coming down to is them saying, you know what, I just can't talk about it because if I talk about it, they're not going to have my back. They're going to kick me to the curb and replace me with somebody else. And that's an imbalance that needs to be addressed. It really, really does. Well, so that- I don't know if you follow Todd Van Steenzel on Twitter. At I all. do. Todd, shout out Todd, the coolest Australian I know. Dude, right? I think, aren't all Australians cool? There's a coolness factor. We, we love Australians. Australians and Canadians. I seem to find them everywhere I go. So one of one of the points that Major League Baseball seems to keep coming back to is the quality of the facilities, that there are these facilities that are subpar, and we've seen it a little bit uh, here in Lake Elsinore. They're not dilapidated by any means, but they're outdated. Okay. And what I fail to grasp onto is that Major League Baseball expects minor league teams to invest in these facilities for the the player, I'm talking about the player facilities, the the workout room, the hitting cages, the clubhouse, these things. 
it seems logical to me that Major League Baseball should contribute, should kick something down to the minor league teams rather than demanding that the minor league teams kick something up to cover a portion of the salaries. Do you see a way that they could come to an agreement where Major League Baseball supports um, some form of improvement of facilities with minor league stadiums? I think any of that is honestly possible. I really, really do. I think that it ties in, though, to the fact that how is it going to go when the next CBA comes around? I don't think it's that it can't be met. I don't think it's that, you know, there's no middle ground. I think it's that you're looking at two separate groups with two separate perspectives on the game. And I don't know if they can come to an agreement. I honestly don't just because for the owners, it's the business side for the players it's their careers. And they're looking at this going, I don't want to be bullied. I don't want someone to back me into a corner. I have an opinion. I should be able to voice that opinion. And I, as optimistic of a person as I am, I don't know if I can see that happening. And it makes me very nervous for the minor league affiliates because they really don't have very much representation right now. Well, and we're kind of talking about two different things here because You've got the 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 collective bargaining agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players Association, but the Players Association doesn't represent the minor league players. Nope. They only have the current active players and retired players in their primary interest. So they don't want to give up what they've got to support the guys coming up. And then you've got the player, what do they call it? The player development agreement between Major League Baseball yeah. and Minor League Baseball. So they're two separate negotiations that you would think that they'd be looking out for each other, but they really aren't. They have very different interests in mind. And and that's what really makes it so tricky is that minor league baseball doesn't have any direct representation. They really fall under the mercy of the Sean Doolittles and the, um, the, the other major league players who have taken a step to speak out and say, look, maybe I had a comfortable signing bonus, but I saw firsthand the conditions. I saw firsthand how tough it was with the clubhouse use and with the bus rides and with the air mattresses that would deflate and they would try and return them to the store just to get some money or the TV return process. It's like the stories that you could tell. It's just story after story after story. And having those players take the time to speak out and be able to sort of be that voice is exactly what the minor leaguers need right now. And I think that's why anytime someone steps up in favor of these players, the players are going, thank you. Somebody is speaking up for us because, you know, as, as unfortunate as it is, while they might have support behind the scenes and behind the curtain, these major leaguers are speaking out. Not all of them will go public because they know there's going to be some backlash. Absolutely. And I want to go back to an article I read about uh, the the Toronto Blue Jays who added, you know, gave those guys raises. And one of the players, it was down, it meant so much, it meant I can have a gym membership. Now, for me, I have a gym membership that comes out of my paycheck, and I haven't been to the gym in three months because I just don't want to go. He, you know, yeah, but a, you're not you're not right. expected to be but a world class athlete. I mean, thirty bucks a month is a big deal when you're when that's either food on your plate or gas in your car or you're trying to get better as a as a world class athlete. Um, well, and my question honestly has been, you know, they they call the players seasonal apprentices, exactly part time seasonal apprentices. And my question to one of the players when I was conducting the interviews for that the pay article is. 
I said, what do I would love to know what the ownership group expects when they say we require you to be in the best shape of your life when you show up for camp in February or March, whenever your report date is, what are you going to do? What are the owners going to do if they show up and they go, you know what? I couldn't pay my bills, so I couldn't work out half the time. But you know what? You said that I'm not going to be able to get paid because I'm only a part-time seasonal apprentice. So it's, it's this back and forth of the ownership group is setting this expectation, but they're not supplying the resources for the players to have a chance to meet that. And that is the imbalance that needs to be addressed. So that reminds me of a tweet I actually saw from Todd Van Steensel just the other day where he was saying that during the season, he didn't like to work out. He didn't like to train, lift a lot of weights. He felt like it made him tight. It made him feel weird on the days that he had to play. He, he would feel fatigued. So he had an agreement with their coaches that this was what he was going to do. He was going to eat the way he wants to eat and train the way he wants to train as long as he's performing on the field. It turns out that he wound up getting cut and the clubby heard that one of the reasons he was cut was because he wasn't lifting, he wasn't working out and doing all this other stuff, even though they said that that's, that's what they wanted him to do. But yeah, if you're going to send this guy off on the offseason and you're going to send him with an app on his phone that tells him what workouts he's supposed to be doing, yeah. and you've got coaches checking in on him once a month, making sure, well, are you eating right? Are you training right? But you're not paying him? How does that work? You're going to tell me how to live my life, but you're not going to pay me? Exactly. That's really what it comes down to. And I think as an ownership group, if you're going to set that expectation, you need to provide the tools to equip the players to be able to do that. Because at the end of the day, on the wage that many of these guys are making, it's just not feasible. Well, and, and it's an investment. You're investing in these guys. And so you want to protect that investment. You need to pay for You know, You need to put money into that fund. If you want to call players a fund or anything like that, you need to pay for that. I well, think and the, but the, it, the 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 counterpoint to that will be that they have invested in the guys that they believe are prospects because they're the ones that signed the big signing bonuses. The guy that signed for five thousand dollars, he's just there to fill a roster spot because they need they need somebody to play left field so your star shortstop can have a roster to play on. Right, right. Which is to me that's a crappy argument because you've got a long list of guys that were signed for that five thousand dollars that wound up becoming actual contributing major league players and adding value. So why don't you invest in everybody? But then I guess that's their reflexive thing is, well, then we're going to we're gonna go quality over quantity and cut out 25% of everybody so we've got less people to roster and we can pay everybody more. It, it, I, I don't get it. The money's there. The money is, is so there. It's just a matter of them being stingy and they don't want to pay it. Yeah, that's at the end of the day. I think that's what it comes down to. And it's, you know, it's something that I'm hoping the affiliates will speak up for. And I know with me specifically having such a background with the Tigers organization, getting to watch what those affiliates have done with the double A Erie Seawolves who are in the Eastern League and then short season Connecticut who's in the New York Penn League, which you guys are familiar with through Tri Cities. It's it's something that they need to have their own voices and say, you know what? No, 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 no. We're not just going to back down this easily. And I know specifically with the Seawolves, they were just granted a very, very extensive amount of money to do stadium upgrades. And so they've been going through, they put in a new scoreboard, they put in a new, um, like a new fan area for different parts of the park. They redid the, the main field surface. They like, they've gone through and they're doing all sorts of upgrades and they're going, you know what? 
no, no, we're not going to just stop this just because our name popped up. And right. the Connecticut right. Tigers, they're rebranding the entire team. And they're going, nope, nope, we're not going to back down this easily. And I say, good for them. Stand your ground on that because these teams have become such a part of the community. They're such a part of the community for the fan interaction, for the ways that they improve the economy there through businesses. They knock down the crime rate because you get so many more positive influences into the community. You can't just pull that away from these cities. At the end of the day, it's it's not that simple and it shouldn't be that simple in the eyes of the ownership group. You know, and you see a lot of these cities come out in Chattanooga, um, the Erie Seawolves guys, they've, they all went to Congress, I think this week to, to, to lobby Congress, but then you have Congress get involved and write MLB, you know, this long letter of like, you're tearing our communities apart, you know, and these are definitely their constituents. But the irony is, but Congress, you guys have a bill that continues to pay these, to not pay them. So you want to keep that team, but you don't want to, make sure that they're, you know, paid a decent living wage. I find it irony in that just, I mean, it's like, it's almost, it's almost, it's, it's, it's hypocritical. Comical. Very well, hypocritical. What I found interesting was in that statement, they said something about bondholders or something along those lines. And that's because, because their constituents have invested. And so there's, there, it, it always comes back to money, which it seems disingenuous to me, but that's how our world works, I guess. All right. So, Did we lose you? <laughs> no. No, that's Still just us here. going off on tangents. We do that a lot. Well, and it's it, so let's so let's talk about solutions here for a minute. Um, and I wanted to play a little bit of a devil's advocate because I mean, granted, there. Are, how many rounds do we need in minor league baseball? Do we need forty rounds of, of, of players? Do we need three different short season teams when you know maybe maybe two guys in a short season team maybe might sniff the major leagues? Um, if we did contract. Um, some of the, you know, had some of these rookie leagues stay in the complexes and we had less rounds. Sure, there would be an initial um, shock to the communities, initial shock to, um, you know, just the whole uh, Major League Baseball is the evil power. We want to fight it. But that means it'll be even more efficient. You know, the efficiency of the drafts, only having so many drafts, like only so many of these players are going to go less people have a better chance, you know, less players have a better chance of making the major leagues instead of having so many of these guys drafted that are just filling up roster spots so you can so you can play. You know, Todd Van Stiesel's long thread on that was like, yeah, I was the guy in the bullpen. Uh, we had the top prospect. He doesn't pitch in A in the beginning of the inning, uh, and he doesn't pitch on this day, but we needed a pitch. So I pitched yesterday, but I needed a pitch today. And so we need those guys to do those things. And and I remember the tweet is like the the prospect was like I, I like I want to pitch, but they have these constraints on me because I am a prospect or whatever. Um, I just think there could be a little bit of efficiency there. Please don't kill me. You know what? For anybody who knows me, knows that I'm far too nice to kill anyone, especially <laughs> you guys. Um, I will say this. That I do agree. I don't think it would be harmful to downsize the rookie affiliates. I think that there are, honestly, there's probably a bit too many of those. I don't know if, in my personal opinion, that teams need that many rookie affiliates. I think you could streamline that a little bit, be a little bit more, like you said, a little more efficient with knowing 
What types of guys are we getting in? How many guys really need to be here? Is it enough for another team? Or can we kind of restructure our assignment process based on who we're drafting and be a little bit more efficient with that? And so I think that part of it could. But when you're going, okay, the minor league industry had, I want to say it was like a 2.6% increase um, in attendance. And they just, there were so many things where minor league baseball, in my opinion, trumped the progress of Major League Baseball because it's such a family-focused, family-friendly place where these parents can come and the kids are going to have fun and it's just a fun atmosphere. And then you have so many different people who, you know, they just, they go just because it's a fun place to be. And that's what these communities need. And I think especially for growing, rebuilding Major League teams, have this access for the fans who are tired of watching their major league clubs struggle. Give them some more. Say, look, here's a preview of what you can expect in you know the next two or three years. Come out and see these guys. Come see what they're doing. And it helps the organization overall. But I, I think this here is just another example of how it's still very business-focused and business-driven in the decisions that they're making. Well, businesses need customers. And so baseball needs fans. And watching baseball on TV is one experience, but actually going and exp- and watching it in person, having the opportunity to be up close and personal, has some interaction with the players even, that adds so much more to the experience. And yeah. so when you take a little kid, if you take a little kid to a Major League Baseball game, yeah, there's a big show. But if you take them to a minor league game, they might have a chance to get an autograph or high five the mascot or something fun. See something that that's going to stick with them and is going to plant that seed and make them a fan. Absolutely. So if you reduce all these teams, you're going to have so many regions of the country that don't have direct access to baseball outside of the TV or the radio or, or an app. And that's just not the way to grow the game. No, it's really not. I think you have to think big picture about it and figure out. How how is this making us look as an organization? Are we steering it towards the fans because the fans are driving the revenue and the revenue is what's going to keep money in the owner's pockets. You have to keep that cycle going. And if you cut off the right arm of the organization through the minor league affiliates, what is that ultimately doing to benefit the organization? Yeah. I, and it's so easy for Major League Baseball to go, okay, 0.5% of your operating budget as a Major League team We'll go to your minor league affiliates. And just like revenue sharing with with Major League Baseball, if you go over the luxury tax, you know, how many how many millions of dollars did the Padres get this year? Mm-hmm. How many millions of dollars did the Detroit Tigers get this year? There's got to be something in the franchise's budget that does that. Okay, well, maybe, you know, tin caps don't need that much money this year. They have this much money in their budget because of food cost or, or whatever. So this team over here needs a little bit more money this year. So well, they're going to get a little talking, bit bigger piece of the pie. You're not talking a ton of money. And we're not talking a ton of if, money. If you give a ballpark $100,000, they'll be able to make significant improvements on the facilities for the player personnel. Yeah. And you provide better food throughout the year and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like we're talking about millions of dollars they need to kick down. So set aside a budget every year, and then they get to spread it among their affiliates as they wish. Yeah, I, I guess a, a part, a, a twist of that is how there's this this shell game where they're always rearranging affiliates. How nobody wants to be in Bakersfield because Bakersfield's a mile a mile away from everywhere, and the facilities stink. So it's it's a hot potato that 
nobody stays there. Yeah, and I think the Nationals got the big brunt of that. I think they're in the Pacific Coast League. I can't remember what team their their Pacific Coast League team is, but they are out in the middle, and they're over here, and the Nationals are way over in, in D.C. Yeah, and so then they're waiting for the next chance to jump ship. So why yeah. should they invest in a team that they're not going to have a relationship with in a few years? I, I wonder if there's going to be a, a broad-scale change where Major League Baseball is going to be more involved in the ownership and the management of the minor league affiliates. I think it's something that would be beneficial if there was more communication about it because you are going to have those affiliates who are oddly located, and that has to do in large part to the fact that so many of these leagues were structured so long ago. And the boundary lines fell a little bit different. With the Tigers, for example, they have most, most of their affiliates are in a relatively close area, but then you have the Florida State League, which is where they keep their spring training home. Obviously, Florida and Michigan, as much as I'd like to be closer to Florida, if we're being real, um, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's not geographically, it doesn't make sense. But then you also have Erie, who is out in the Eastern League, and that's a good six and a half hour drive from Detroit. And so it's, it's not directly there, but then you have Toledo, which is right down the interstate from Detroit. You have West Michigan, which is my backyard, which is only about two, two and a half hours. So it's, it really has to do with the fact that so many of these teams, and they've done this recently with some of the affiliate restructuring, moving teams from Las Vegas and Syracuse and re- restructuring how all of them are set up. It just has to do, again, big picture. How how are we setting our guys up? How are we structuring these things? It takes a lot of big picture thinking, and I think a lot of teams are having to address that right now. Well, so a counter argument, so the, the whole thing about logistics, that it's this far of a drive from here to there, they've been doing this for 100 years. So you used to have, when it was the ABCD leagues before it was like AA, AAA, you had teams in the 30s and 40s that were traveling 10, 12 hours in much rickettier buses, much worse traveling and, yeah. and lodging accommodations to spread baseball. So why is it so much more difficult and expensive and cumbersome now? I'd like to see more air travel. Um, now, granted, they're not traveling on school buses. They're traveling on tour buses, but still it, they could do buses with sleeper cabins if that's what they need there are opportunities and options there that don't seem to be explored right now and the root cause of all of it is money unfortunately and that not everyone has to be a sleeper if it's a five-hour bus ride okay it's a five-hour bus ride you're in a regular coach but if you're in a 10 or if there's a limit of hours or even the day where where they're traveling at what time of the day or whatever then you do it it doesn't have to be everyone's sleeping in a sleeper during a day game but the thing is that a minor league team, a single A team, isn't generating enough revenue to justify putting a bunch of guys on a plane to fly from Clinton to whatever. Name two cities that are far apart. Right, right. Um, AAA has a little bit more money, but even still, it's it's so that's where the major league baseball team could funnel a little bit down and cover more of the transportation costs. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that just has to be prioritized. And I think you have to look at the affiliates. You have to look at what their goals are. And it's going to come down to how bad do they want to make their organizations more healthy and what do they plan to do about it. Well, it's going to be really interesting. So you're going to be at the winter meetings this year, yeah? You know, as much as I want to come back oh, to San Diego. Come on. 
we'll have a GoFundMe. Like to. Yeah. <laughs> what a five-day GoFundMe to well, get it, yes. get Emily Walden to San Diego. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I would return in a heartbeat. We could spend an entire episode talking about how much I fell in love with San Diego. Well, and we didn't even talk about it, and it was on the agenda. So, what did you do when you were out here? Well, first of all, I made the drive from Phoenix, which. If you're okay with road trips, and obviously I've proven I'm okay with road trips being in minor league baseball, but if you're okay with road trips, take the drive from Phoenix out to San Diego. It is one of the coolest kind of landscape changing rides where you see a little bit of everything. You've got mountains, you've got desert, you've got, you know, pure sand dunes, you know, coming from different areas. It's it's really something to take in. And so I made that drive. I want to at the end of that drive, you get the, yeah. you get the bonus of reaching the ocean, which is so, always a, a cool like destination at the end of a drive. Oh. It really is. It really is. And I will be honest. And I know you guys will love this. I was most looking forward to the tacos when yeah. I got to San Diego because everybody said, when you get to San Diego, you have to have the tacos. And that's exactly what I did. How'd they rate out? I want to come back and have more tacos in San Diego. <laughs> San Diego has 80 grade tacos. We do. So they what, are easy 80 grade tacos. So do you want to give a shout out? I know you reached out. Did you reach out for, for, um, for recommendations? I know you're done at Petco. I, you, went, you went to Petco for a, for a tour. Yeah, I did. I got to go tour Petco. That was really, really cool. Getting a chance to get inside the park and see what it was like. And it of course was perfect. Perfect blue sky. Yeah perfect day typical san diego and you guys are gonna hate me but i'm drawing a blank on the place that we went it was i want to say was it in the gasm district um gosh and i was trying so hard to remember the name of it but it it was fantastic tacos was it a sit down kind of a place or was it more of a walk up to the counter and order yes it was it was a sit down one um, we had we ended up sitting at the bar. They had a really cool bar set up, and oh, it was it was just so good. They had like kind of varieties where you could like get you know three or four, and I got three different ones, and it was just the most fresh, fresh seafood. I had shrimp, I had lobster, I had I was trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, but they were just they were perfect, and I ate way too many and enjoyed myself <laughs> way too much. And well, it was stellar. And I will say the city <laughs> the city treated me very well. And oh my gosh, that nightlife, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the gas lamp, you know, the ballpark but the ballpark before downtown before the ballpark only really just had that small strip of the gas lamp. And even then it wasn't as as built up as it is now. And now the ballpark has just really just revitalize that. I don't know if it's 15 years old now, but back in the day, like I, I took a few buses through downtown in high school, and like you could see a stabbing and a, a pickpocket and a mugging all on the same, you know, waiting for a bus where people didn't want to go down there during the day. Now, you know, you have the gas lamp corner there. You have it's a destination. It's a destination. And the the place that you were describing that could be a dozen different places down there. The the yeah. restaurant and the bar. So and gonna, I will be honest, if you guys say the name of it, I would remember. And I was trying to Google it earlier, but it, uh, yeah, just great food. The servers, we had a great server, um, gave us a little history around the area. And I got to go with a friend who was from the city. So he obviously talked a little bit about it. We walked down to the water, Seaport Village, loved it, loved Seaport Village. There were so many cute little areas over there, um, walked out on the, uh, 
out on the pier, got to see some of the military ships that were in there docked. Yeah. Um, of course, that I got a San Diego sunset, which was yeah. perfect, and I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the midway is really cool down there. The uh, the, the midway is a, was the it's an aircraft. It's a retired it, it, aircraft carrier. So it's been converted into a museum now, and that's kind of a destination in in downtown. It's right down there on the waterfront. And not to break your heart real quick, but they have sold the Seaport Village. Now it's going to become a, a big, big, giant hotel. Really? Yeah. You know, I'm I'm just yeah. going to hold on to my beautiful moment that I had there. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to create more moments with you, Emily. Um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is, you know, the 120 is going to be something that we're, obviously we have been following and we're going to continue to follow. We didn't even talk about if they do contract teams in which they probably will do some kind of retracting their thinking or contracting that that could definitely devalue um, an affiliate. And that can just open the door for, you know, the major league teams and just kind of buy out all the owners and it become, you know, not so much of a fun place to go and perhaps not as you know, as accessible because it's owned by the major league teams and they're thinking about the big picture and they're thinking about making more money. And um, there's just, it's just, it's really going to be very interesting. I think it's very, um, I don't know. It, it's, it, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's just, it's, it can go a lot of different ways. And I hope that major league baseball, minor league baseball do find the, uh, the way to trust each other again, or at least minor league baseball to trust the big league, you know, big league clubs again, and for Major League Baseball not to be seen as the bad guy as much as they are kind of being the bad guy, you know, coupling with, you know, having the bad guys that is the Congress, you know, going with against Major League Baseball when uh, just they're, they're all bad guys. It's, you know, except for Luis Patino. Yeah, we love Luis Patino. <laughs> can we can we just talk about how great was his suit? At that awards ceremony. How many guys can pull off a purple velvet suit besides Prince? Oh, my God. No, and he looked great. What is that? What color is that? That's, um, I don't know my colors. If Lydia was here, she would know. It's a, But it's a, it's a red purple. It's a, I can't remember, but I saw the other day when he was working out. He, uh, he looks like he's gaining muscle. He, um, he looks. He still looks thin. But he doesn't look bulky, but he looks like he's getting in really good shape. And by the way, if, I don't know if you saw just yesterday, Tirso Ornelas um, put out some video on. Well, you you tweeted the you tweeted the pictures of him. You doing, question my dedication to Tirso. Tirso. You should know this by now. I know he's just. I'm so happy to see him turn it around. He is so built. All of he, there we go. Hey, there I am. Hey, there I am. Yeah, there was a he on Instagram. He was doing some. Some some lifting, and he is getting so big. Yeah. I mean, he was already big, but my goodness, he's going to be a monster. All right. Well, I we like what a scout told me about Tirso. He goes, you know, it's not every day that you accidentally sign a Greek god. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, we really appreciate you coming on. We, you know, we we love you so much, and and we uh, we will help you in any way we possibly can. Our little podcast. Um, we appreciate having you on has done for the podcast as well. Like having you on as a guest really legitimizes us and has allowed us to gain access to the winter meetings, you know, to have the Padres, you know, kind of take us, I don't know about serious, but you know, they've, they've allowed us, to, you know, they've afforded some access and, you know, we just want to tell the minor league story and you help us do that. Well, in return, hopefully we've been able to shed some of our, um, our, our good podcast mojo upon you. It seems like all the people that we wind up talking to wind up going on to, 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 
good things the following year. So you're a success story of ours now that you write for Baseball America, and we're really proud of you for that. Thank you. And I can I give some shout outs? I have to give some shout we outs. We didn't even talk about Lee Solomon Please in the do. whole cold no. weather. Shout away. I know. Can I? And Lee is one of the people who I got connected with covering the, the organization on the farm system side. Lee, I don't think people realize Lee is like one of the smartest human beings on the planet. Everybody needs to know that. Not only can he do the splits and he can hit home runs, but he is extremely smart. And so shout out Lee Solomon for being Ohio tough and being out in the cold and showing that thing off and not caring because we're in the Midwest. So if we're miserable, you know, we might as well just be out there and not wear a face mask because we're tougher than that. Yeah, well, he's going to be a lawyer. You know, if the baseball thing doesn't work out, he is. He's incredibly intelligent. He was accepted into law school. Um, he may be a senator or something like that someday. Yeah. <laughs> and even with you, we might even be talking to a future uh, development director or even a GM. Oh, you guys are the best. And also, shout out Blake Hunt, who just went to Hawaii, with Joe- I believe, with, with Joey. Yeah. Joey and Blake. Bravo for not falling off a mountain. I and sent Sam a message Lewis. to Blake. Yeah. They yes. Were- oh, my gosh. Sam, love him. And I told Blake, I said, Please do not let you or Joey fall off that mountain because who am I going to talk to if you all fall off a mountain when I go to Fort Wayne next year? Uh, so, so for our listeners, Sam Lewis is the Blake clubhouse, clubhouse yeah. manager. So I think that's awesome that Joey had the clubhouse manager come out. I, 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 I love that. It's responsible. It's a responsible move. They're having their guy out there covering their backs. And I said, you guys, just please be careful. And Blake said, oh, we will be fine. No worries there. Shout out Blake and Joey, two of the classiest guys in the organization. Shout out Lee Solomon and Luis Patino, ride or die till <laughs> the end. All right. Well, hopefully we get a chance to talk to you again before Luis Patino gets called up. But when that time comes, we'll definitely hit you up again. Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Always a good time. And I'll take Oh. Uh-huh.